awake, arise, come out of winter's nourishing dark. Don't be afraid, the world's coldness has no power here. Come and be healed, come and be whole, come and be free. It is Easter morning on spring's wide threshold. There are buds on the branches and all things are possible. Come, let us worship together. Welcome to First Unitarian Church and happy Easter. I'm Angela Herrera, the senior minister here. With me this morning is associate minister, the Reverend Bob Lavalley, lay leader, Judy Goring, music director, Susan Peck, and intern minister, Matt Pargeter-Villarreal. Our DJ is Chris Paul and Barry, Alex, and Erica are our ushers today. That's our team. And we're so glad to be with you this morning. And we especially welcome any new visitors. If this is your first or second time and you feel comfortable, we invite you to put your name and location in the chat so that we can welcome you personally. And now Judy has some announcements to share. Good morning. The masculinity uh, documentary series continues tomorrow, Monday, April 18th. We'll watch The Mask You Live In, a documentary about how masculinity is performed. This will be followed by a final documentary on Monday, May 2nd. All films begin at 7 p.m. and will be shown via Zoom. All men are invited to attend. Attendance at the prior documentary is not mandatory. Invite your male friends. To register, use the link in the chat or you can find the link in the April Messenger. After registering, you'll receive a confirmation email containing information about joining the meeting. The Unitarian Universalist Association is considering adopting an eighth principle to explicitly commit to anti-racism, anti-oppression efforts to move our faith to be more multicultural. First Unitarian adopted a strategic plan in January 2022 that asked the congregation to spend a year learning and discerning about what the eighth principle means, what adopting it would look like for our congregation, what it would mean for our church as an institution, and what each of us is invited to do in our personal journeys to evolve in our ability to be with one another in ways that are not oppressive in our relationship with each other. The board is creating an eighth principal task force to guide the congregation to explore the benefits and challenges of diversity, inclusion, and equitable church practices. The goal is to prepare the congregation to vote on adopting the eighth principle at the annual meeting in January, 2023. You can learn more about what the board has charged the task force to do and how to engage in this work on the First U website. If you are interested in serving on this task force, please fill out the application via the link below or you can also find the application on the First U website. The deadline has been extended to April 29, 2022. The Widening the Circle Group has a breakout room set up for after this service where we can join, sign up for one of the discussion groups reading Mistakes and Miracles beginning in May. 
Two of the facilitated groups will be held on Zoom. This is part of First Unitarian's effort to prepare for voting on the eighth principle at our next annual meeting. You can find the link to the breakout room in the chat at the end of the service. We light this chalice for the web of light which sustains us, for the sacred circle of life in which we have our being, for the earth, the sky, above and below, and for our mother earth and for the mystery. First Unitarian's Chalice Choir is so excited to be singing in the sanctuary this morning at 11 o'clock. We've been singing as safely as possible for two years, first on Zoom only, making virtual choir videos, and then in person with masks, distancing and promising one another to be vaccinated and boosted. We will be singing with masks in the sanctuary this morning, but agreed that we felt okay to make our videos for the Zoom service without masks when we recorded in the empty sanctuary. Our opening song reminds us that none of us are truly free until every person is free free from oppression, free from injustice, free from tyranny. This traditional spiritual arranged by the brilliant Moses Hogan asks, didn't my Lord deliver Daniel from the lion's den and Jonah from the belly of the whale? Then why not everyone?
are Unitarian Universalists. We are people of faith with open minds, loving hearts, and helping hands. I definitely owe this song completely to my religious upbringing. We learned a lot of scriptures and a lot of them very beautiful that I still think of and refer to today. So you may or may not know that my CD Promise was one that I wrote entirely to bridge the gap between the religious lessons I learned from my mother and the atheistic worldview that I got from my dad. And um, this song, Bread Alone, was inspired by the scripture that says that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so my idea was to translate that concept into terms that my dad could understand that could resonate with his worldview as well. And the way I see that scripture now is that bread represents the physical experience of life and that we human beings are not merely physical creatures. We are emotional and spiritual. And I see those experiences of life, our emotion and our connection to the divine, however we de describe or define that, as being the words that come from the mouth of God. And so that we are a balance of um, our physical bread reality and our inner reality. This song is called Bread Alone. Goes well with banjo. Yeah. 
Got to remember the yeast and wheat. You got to remember every time you eat. You got to remember there's folks in need. Take it out on. Let's prepare to meditate. We're going to spend a little time today listening to our bodies. And we'll start by taking three breaths together. So inhaling, exhaling, inhaling, exhaling, inhaling. Exhaling. We're going to scan our bodies now. We're going to pay attention to our bodies and look at them, but without judgment or without the need to change things, just observing. So put your attention in your lower legs, your calves and feet. Move your attention to your upper legs. Turn your attention to your torso, your hips and chest and shoulders. We're just watching without judgment, without the need to change things. Pour your attention into your arms and your hands. Move your attention to your neck and head. As you scanned your body, where was your attention drawn? Take note of that. And as you take note, listen for an emotion related to that part of the body. What emotion was in that part of the body? And once you've named an emotion for yourself, 
Listen for a story. Don't try to tell a story or analyze a story. Simply listen for what story comes. Now, as we move into a time of silence, I invite you to hold this question. How might the divine be speaking to you through that story? How might the divine be speaking to you through that story? Let's sit together in silence with that question. It is our deepest intention to be authentically present to one another, especially in times of challenge and times of joy. One way we do this is by pausing in the Sunday service to listen to the life-changing personal milestones in our lives. If you've had such a milestone and choose to share it, now is the time to do so. Please share first your joys and then your concerns in the chat bar as prompted by the video. If you cannot share in the chat for any reason, we still want to hear from you. Please contact us at caring at uuabq.org.
Pray together. We mourn with Nancy and James Gilson as they grieve the loss of their son and brother, Bill. 
He also mourned with Ken Oslin on the passing of his sister, Margaret Fogelson. May they all find comfort in the memories of their loved ones. And may light perpetual shine upon Bill and Margaret. We pray for Jane Baldwin, who is recovering from an injury. May her healing be comfortable and quick. We lift up our Director of Religious Education, Mia Norin, while she takes medical leave. May she find rest and renewal. We remember the times where we failed to live into our values, and we offer grace to those who have angered us this week. We forgive ourselves, we forgive others, and we vow to begin again in love. We pray for all those struggling with addiction. May they find sobriety and contentment. And we celebrate all those who are on the difficult journey of sobriety. May their community affirm and lift up their accomplishments. We lift up all those who mourn, those who mourn the loss of a loved one or the loss of a relationship, or the loss of an opportunity. May, they, may their grief bring them consolation and peace. On this day of Easter Sunday and Passover and Ramadan, we lift up one of our Unitarian Universalist sources, that we draw wisdom from the world's religions, which inspires us in our ethical and spiritual life. May our differences continue, us to bring us, to continue to bring us new understandings and new ways to love. We give thanks for the rising of spring, the bursting of the leaves, the return of the birds. May we be fed by this beautiful moment. All these and all our joys and concerns, we lift up to the great powers of celebration and healing and renewal known by many names. And may we all be held in the heart of love. Peace be with you.
Our reading this morning, Mark 16, verses 1 through 18, a translation, The Message by Eugene Peterson. Here are verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, and Solomon brought spices so that they could embalm him. Very early on Sunday morning, as the sun rose, they went to the tomb. They worried out loud to each other, who will roll back the stone from the tomb for us? Then they looked up, saw that it had been rolled back. It was a huge stone and walked right in. They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed all in white. They were completely taken aback, astonished. He said, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, the one they nailed on the cross. He's been risen up. He's here no longer. You can see for yourselves that the place is empty. Now, on your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going on ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there, exactly as he said. They got out as fast as they could, beside themselves, their heads swimming, stunned. They said nothing to anyone. We continue with the book of Mark. After rising from the dead, Jesus appeared early on Sunday morning to Mary Magdalene, whom he had delivered from seven demons. She went to his former companions, now weeping and carrying on, and told them, when they heard her report she had, she had seen him alive and well, they did not believe her. Later he appeared, but in a different form, to two of them out walking in the countryside. They went back and told the rest, but they weren't believed either. Still later, as the eleven were eating supper, he appeared and took them to task most severely for their stubborn unbelief, refusing to believe those who had seen him raised up. Then he said, go into the world, go everywhere and announce the message of God's good news to one and all. Whoever believes and is baptized is saved. Whoever refuses to believe is damned. These are some of the signs that will accompany believers. They will throw out demons in my name. They will speak in new tongues. They will take snakes in their hands. They will drink poison and not be hurt. They will lay hands on the sick and make them well. So what is the deal with Easter at a Unitarian Universalist church? I mean, we are not exactly a bunch of Jesus people, are we? Most of us would probably not identify that way anyway. Jesus is not the focus of very many of these Sunday services, but then Easter rolls around and bam, Jesus. Certainly part of it is the cultural tradition of celebrating Easter. Like much of that is more pagan related than anything though. Rabbits and eggs, symbols of spring. Even the name Easter is pagan in origin. It's based on the name of the pre-Christian indigenous European goddess Ostra. However, this is technically a Protestant church. We belong to a denomination that used to identify as Christian, 
and no longer does. There are Christian UUs for sure, but the church as a whole over time has become more than Christian. We're atheists, pagans, agnostics. Some of us have syncretistic spiritualities, which means they're made up of different influences that combine to create something new. We are Unitarian Universalists. In other words, we are a Protestant congregation whose relationship with Christianity is, it's complicated. What this means is that the Jesus stories are our stories too. This faith is because of those who came before us who were inspired by the teachings of Jesus to grow in love. Now, because the stories, because of how those stories shaped this tradition, it's confounding, really, some of the ways his name is used to cause harm in the world. The Gospels, the four books of the Bible that tell the story of Jesus, do contain some contradictions. This morning's reading from the Gospel of Mark is a perfect example. In the section Judy read, verses 1 through 8, the two women named Mary do not tell anyone what has happened. They're too shocked. In the oldest and probably most original versions of this gospel, that's the end of the story. That's it. They don't tell anything to anyone. Full stop. Done. Versions that were written a little bit later in ancient times contained the section that Bob read, verses 9 through 18. In the alternate ending there, Mary Magdalene tells Jesus's former companions, who do not believe her anyway, and then Jesus begins making appearances. Two very different endings, same gospel. Within all of these gospels that have been handed down to us, Jesus even seems to contradict himself. In the gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But in the Gospel of Matthew, when asked what the greatest commandment is, he says that it's love, seemingly without regard for differences. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful and blessed are the peacemakers. But just a little later, in Matthew 10, he says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. He communes with tax collectors and people who are thought to be cursed, teaching by his gentle example. But he also storms into the temple, overturning tables and flinging open the cages of doves and pigeons and causing all manner of chaos as he rails against those who put profit over love and justice. And then he invites people in to be healed, people who would have been at the margins of society, excluded. What all of these contradictions remind me of are parables from the Buddhist canon about the teachings and the actions of the Buddha. Those too contain wild contradictions sometimes. The difference is in that tradition, no one seems to believe that those parables are meant to be taken literally. They're filled with vivid imagery and contradictions, large and startling images. They show up in multiple versions, which is evidence that they are to be read as metaphor and story. Their meaning is moral and poetic. Many of us were introduced to the Christian scriptures with a pre-understanding, an assumption that they are supposed to be the literal word of God. But when you approach them with a beginner's mind, with curiosity rather than a pre-understanding, the scriptures themselves tell us 
that their meaning is more than what is on the surface. It's in the realm of myth. But what do I mean by myth? Well, I think the Greek statesman Solon put it well in the sixth century BCE. He said, myth is not something which never happened, but something that happens over and over and over again. How does this approach shape our understanding of the gospels today? We can take as our entry point, a part of the story, the misunderstanding of which has led to a lot of harm. In the gospels, Jesus is very critical of Jerusalem and the temple, but his point was not that they were the center of Judaism. It was that they had become the center of the domination system of the Roman empire. He's upset that the people there are collaborating with the Roman Empire. The people he is upset with are picking and choosing among religious laws, elevating those that elevate people in power and ignoring those that would help the marginalized. He is not upset at his own religion, Judaism. He is upset at the domination system of his society and everyone who conspires with it. What were the qualities of this domination system? It was hierarchical and patriarchal. It was based on an economics of exploitation. The biggest economic activity was agricultural production, but two thirds of the wealth created by that, by farmers and workers, ended up in the hands of urban elites and half of it went to the top one to 2%. The domination system did not take care of its most vulnerable members those who were poor or considered outsiders were crushed by it as under its heel. And this domination system was supported by a religion of legitimation in which those with power claimed that their system reflected the will of God. Jesus didn't oppose anyone for who they were. He opposed them for what they did. The Jesus who speaks in the gospels was upset about domination, about dehumanization, that is, in fact, the main theme of the gospel stories about him. And if we miss this, we miss the whole point. A myth is not something that never happened, but something that happens over and over again. Right? Today, also, a domination system seeks to dehumanize and kill while protecting the power and wealth of a few. We have obscene economic inequality, anti-trans laws proliferating, anti-gay laws, police violence, the criminalization of reproductive health care, the exclusion of refugees and bureaucratic roadblocks and criminalization of other migrants, homelessness, racism, mass incarceration, and for-profit prisons. These things kill. Exclusion and hopelessness kill. Poverty kills. Not having access to abortion when you desperately need one kills. Some of these things like anti-trans laws and forced childbirth, even in cases of rape or incest, some of those things are done specifically in Jesus's name. Others are quietly tolerated while those, by those who profess to follow him. And this is blasphemy. It is religious malpractice. It is a perversion of the gospel message. It is turning the story of Jesus into a religion of death. And to those who do these things, I would say, repent and believe in the gospel. 
The domination system that Jesus opposed soon killed him too. He's crucified, a punishment reserved for those who committed sedition, the crime of rebelling against the state. His body is wrapped and laid in a cloth in a tomb, a low cave-like space. The entrance is blocked by a giant boulder. But the scriptures say he reappeared, he came back. His body goes missing from the tomb, yet though the version of him that people encounter is not the old him, not exactly. Even those who are closest to him do not recognize him. In the Gospel of John, Mary Magdalene mistakes him for a gardener. In the Gospel of Luke, when he joins two of his followers walking on the road, they tell him about their teacher, Jesus, who was killed, oblivious to the fact that he is the one who was with them. He seems to walk through walls, entering locked rooms full of his disciples. And it's only when he says their names or breaks bread with them that they recognize his presence among them. And so this is not quite a happily ever after story, but it is a story about how the domination system tried to kill something that can never be vanquished. A person can be killed, but what their life meant lives on. You can murder humans, but not human rights. Those you will have to confront again. Healthcare may be denied, but you can't shut down the will and the right to thrive. You can don't say gay, but you can't pray the gay away. It is still gonna be there in your family, in your neighborhood, maybe even in yourself. You can hoard wealth, you can amass it and shamelessly profit from the labor of others and from their meager earnings, but you cannot kill the righteous anger that creates. And you cannot erase the fact that every human life is sacred. These truths will keep rising again and again in different forms. In Mark 16, verses 17 to 18, Jesus speaks vividly and poetically when he says that those who understand what he has taught will throw out demons they will speak in new tongues. They will take snakes on their hands. They will drink poison and not be hurt. They will lay hands on the sick and make them well. He's describing courageous people, survivors, healers. What are the demons in the world today? They are the forces that diminish lives, that dehumanize and exclude. The new tongues are evolutions of language, new words for inclusion, and to dream of a radically different future. Snakes and poison, that which, would, that which would intimidate or harm us, but which we cannot avoid, but must develop the ability to survive. And laying on hands, it's proximity. It's drawing close to one another, knowing that all that we need for healing is already here among us in this world right now, if we would only use it. A religion of death will never lead to lives of peace for anyone. But a religion of life will rise again and again and again if those of us who practice it remember the dead and remember what cannot be killed. The Christian theologian and Jesus historian Marcus Borg was also struck by the scale of poetry and metaphor in the scripture. It's startling. It's radical. It's meant to jolt us out of the trances of hopelessness and helplessness that come over us like a slumber. 
to make us awaken, arise, rise up ourselves. Referring to Jesus appearing on, to the disciples on that road to Emmaus, Borg interpreted, the risen Christ journeys with us whether we know that or not, whether we realize that or not. Which is to say that no despair is final. A greater love, truth, comfort, wisdom, and peace journey with you, with us, whether we recognize it all the time or not. These things are always available, always by your side, and always right here among us. What a blessing it is to give and receive, to share and support this church where love, justice and equality inspire our acts of service and compassion. We dedicate these gifts to all that we stand for as a community of faith. We dedicate these gifts freely given and gratefully received to the work of this congregation. Our Change for the Future organization for March, April and May is the Transgender Resource Center of New Mexico, providing advocacy, education, and direct services in support of transgender, gender non-conforming, non-binary, and gender variant people and their families. You can make an offering online by clicking on the link that we'll put in the chat box. And if you prefer not to give online, you can simply mail a check to the church and include change for the future on the memo line. Let us now give freely and generously an offering to sustain and strengthen our shared religious community.
what is generously given is received in gratitude. Thanks on behalf of First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque and the Transgender Resource Center of New Mexico. So we're coming towards the end of our service. And whether you stay in our breakout rooms at the end or go about your lovely Easter, we're offering a discussion question for you to mold, perhaps alone, perhaps with others. And that question is, using the metaphors from the Bible, how are you handling snakes and laying on hands? How are you handling snakes and laying on hands? Before we move to our benediction though, let's do our Pacham greeting. I invite you to put your screen in gallery. And if your camera is off and you're comfortable with it, turning on your camera so we can see your beautiful face. One hand on the heart, the other reaching out to our community, your community. Sending love and peace. Blessed be. As we extinguish our chalices and candles together, I offer you these words of benediction. This is the day we have been given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us live wisely, love courageously, and bless all who we are blessed to meet. Go in peace.